Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Kaboom! If you thought four hours a day, 1,200 minutes a week was enough, think again. He's the last remnants of the old republic, a sole bastion of fairness. He treats crackheads in the ghetto gutter the same as the rich pill poppers in the penthouse. Wow. The clearinghouse of hot takes break free for something special. The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller starts right now. In the air, everywhere, and welcome into the weekend kickoff party, another edition of the Fifth Hour with Ben Maller and Danny G Radio from the Podcast Dojo. Very exciting. What well, is a big weekend here, the Hall of Fame weekend in pro football. We had the Hall of Fame game On Thursday, and now the big weekend festivities kicking off with the class of 2022. And I am excited because we're going to talk to one of the members who's entering in to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The class of 2022 includes Tony Baselli. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer, the first draft pick in Jags history. And now he's the first player from that team to go into the Hall of Fame, a star. At USC, this is the guy. We did a monologue about this a couple of months back. Bruce Smith, the Buffalo Bill Hall of Fame defensive player, furious, furious because Tony Baselli only played 91 games in his career in the NFL, and he's going to the Hall of Fame. And Bruce Smith was all upset because he's really upset because Baselli's claim to fame was shutting down Bruce Smith when he was in his heyday with the Buffalo Bills in a playoff game. I remember that game vividly as a stunning outcome when Jacksonville was able to get her done. Also going in the Hall of Fame, Leroy Butler, the Green Bay Packer legend. He spent 12 years with the Green Bay Packers, and he, he has been eligible for the Hall of Fame for 16 years. This is his 16th year of eligibility And he's getting in. That's a a very baseball-esque move for a football player. You see that every once in a while in baseball where somebody's eligible and they don't get in, they don't get in. Like, you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not a Hall of Famer. But Leroy Butler had to wait till his 16th year, a four-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro in Green Bay. And for me and for many people, 
the most important contribution. Not being on the 1990s Hall of Fame all-decade team. No, no, no. It's the fact that Leroy Butler was the creator of the Lambo Leap. And uh, that will live on long after Leroy Butler is uh, gone from the from the world. The Lambo Leap. I, I imagine a hundred years from now there'll be a Green Bay Packer team. They'll be doing the Lambo Leap. Also, Sam Mills, a Hall of Famer. If you remember those great Saints teams with Jim Mora as the coach, and we had we had Jim Mora on this podcast, but Sam Mills. Uh, and a, a very impressive year. He passed away uh, a few years ago, but his 20th year of eligibility. So another one where he had to wait a long time, but he it was very, uh, very dominant for several years with the New Orleans Saints. They had some great defenses in that era. And then he went on and played pretty well for the Carolina Panthers also. Richard Seymour, part of the Hall of Fame class, of 2022, remember him from the early days of the Patriots dynasty. He was a first-round pick in 2001, and he was the rock of the defense for Bill Belichick at the beginning. And uh, Richard Seymour, I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer, but that's probably because I don't think of a lot of the guys that are playing in the moment as Hall of Famers, but he was a member of the 2000s Hall of Fame All-Decade team, and he went on. He got a lot of money from the Raiders after that, and uh, was traded by Belichick, I believe, to the to the Raiders, if I remember correctly. But he's going to the Hall of Fame, seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and his fifth year of eligibility, fourth time as a finalist. Richard Seymour in the Hall of Fame, also in the Hall of Fame class of 2022 this weekend. Bryant Young, another guy. When he was playing, I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. He played on some very good Niner teams in the 1990s, and he was part of that all-decade team. That usually gets you in the Hall of Fame when you're part of the all-decade team. Uh, 14 years. 14 years. Started 208 games with San Francisco and Young entering Canton, Ohio. His 10th year of eligibility is second as a finalist, so he gets in to Canton, Ohio. Cliff Branch, who passed away a few years ago, part of the great Raider teams of the 1970s. Branch passing away in 2019. But he played 14 years. And that was the John Madden Raiders, 1972. And he was a dominant figure in, in an era where a wide receiver, you didn't have to put up ridiculous stats because – Let's face it, the passing game was archaic compared to today, but Cliff Branch getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and also in someone named Art McNally. Who is that? His claim to fame, the father of modern officiating, Art McNally. He was the supervisor of officials for 24 years, from the 1960s to the early 1990s, and he, he goes in to the Hall of Fame here. And I believe he's still around. I think he's in his 90s now, but into the Hall of Fame. And the main event for us, the main course, this Hall of Fame weekend, Dick Vermeer, one of only seven coaches to lead two franchises to the Super Bowl. He got the Philadelphia Eagles there and then won the whole ball of wax with the old St. Louis Rams, the Kurt Warner story. Coached the Kansas City Chiefs into the 
Hall of Fame. Uh, well, not in the Hall of Fame, but he led the Chiefs to the playoffs. And his claim to fame, we'll get into it with him because he's about to join us here. Dick Vermeil, 15 seasons as a coach in the NFL. Uh, he led three different teams to quick turnarounds, teams that had been morbid. The Eagles, I mean, Philadelphia, uh, if, if you look at that record, they had not had a winning season since 1960 when Vermeil took over. And within three years, they ended up uh, getting to the playoffs and they won the NFC title. I believe they lost to the Raiders, if I remember correctly. And he then went to broadcasting. Remember watching him on TV for all those years, calling college and NFL games, and then came back to coach the St. Louis Rams. And that was the Kurt Warner greatest show on turf and that amazing storybook run for the St. Louis Rams. He then retired briefly, came back with the Chiefs and helped them end a brief playoff drought in Kansas City. But right now, he is getting ready for his Hall of Fame speech. At the time we are talking to him, it is closing in on Hall of Fame time. So let's welcome into the Fifth Hour Podcast, Dick Vermeil is going to get a gold jacket this weekend. So congratulations, uh, Dick, on the Hall of Fame honor. Kind of take me behind the scenes. Take us behind the scenes, if you will. What is the preparation like to get ready for this most important speech? Well, it's uh, it's ever-consuming, I'll tell you that. For the last two months, I've been waking up in the middle of the night thinking about it and have a hard time going back to sleep. Then you find out you only have eight minutes. You, you know you should have gone back to sleep sooner. <laughs> <laughs> now you could do eight minutes in your sleep, right? I mean, you're you are you were a broadcaster for a long time, so uh, you know what are you what are you trimming out of it? I guess is the way to uh, to ask. My thought is to make sure that everybody that contributed to my career is appreciated within my uh, conversation for eight minutes because I, I'm in debt to so many people and helped me become. Hall of Fame football coach, and uh, it's going to be very hard to express that in eight minutes. Absolutely. Now, over the years, you have been known, very emotional, one of the endearing things about you. Are you concerned at all uh, about the emotion overwhelming you in this eight-minute speech? Well, you know, uh, it used to really bother me, but gradually I learned as I matured that just don't worry about being yourself. You are what you are. And if it happens, it happens. I probably will, especially when I start talking about my family and specific people. But, uh, uh, you know, it used to embarrass me. Uh, now it doesn't. It's just what I am, and uh, I, I'll go. At least people will know I'm sincere. Well, absolutely. And when you were a little kid, did you always want to be in football? Is there anything else? I mean, when, when did you know this was going to be your life's uh, work? You know, I grew up with my dad in the garage. He had a, his business was a little small garage right next to the house in Calistoga in the Napa Valley. And I grew up soon as I was old enough to going out with him and working cars for starting out cleaning parts. And by the time I left there and finished college, I was a journeyman mechanic. So I learned a lot there, but I really at that time thought I was going to be a mechanic coming out of high school. And then a, a high school football coach came there named Bill Wood and he sort of encouraged me to pursue football and no one had ever told me I could play college football. So I went to junior college and started playing again. And, uh, and then decided because of his inspiration to try to be a high school football coach. And that got me started. 
from a family perspective, uh, Dick, did, was your family uh, excited for you? Did did they encourage you to go into football, or did they attempt to get you to do something else? My dad loved football. That we heard about it. He played high school football, and he he thought it could teach you the lessons of life, and it was good for you. It te- teaches you to do your job, hold yourself responsible. We heard that all the time. But I think deep down in, he wanted my brother and I to stay home and, and go to work for him in the garage, and they'd build a new building and, uh, you know, a Louis Vermeil and Sons type thing, and it didn't work that way. And I think he was a little disappointed initially, but I think as I grew in coaching, he became more and more involved and uh, appreciative of what my decision. Absolutely. Now, as far as the football stuff, you, you've you coached in multiple cities over your career. I, I have a buddy of mine who's from Philadelphia, and he claims that despite the fact that you coached in these other cities and you worked a- around the country, that uh, Phil- you are Philadelphia, that that is, that is where you belong. There's a bond there. Can you explain the relationship you have with the fans in the Delaware Valley? Well, you know, when I left UCLA and went to Philadelphia in 1976, we took three teenagers with us. So they finished high school and college in, in Pennsylvania, got married in Pennsylvania, raised 11 grandchildren in that area and then on further as they started dispersing and moving to other areas. So we established roots there, you know, and that's why I stayed there after I left the Eagles and in broadcasting, you can live anywhere you want. And then all of a sudden I'm representing Independence Blue Cross in commercials and uh, all those kinds of things. So it was, uh, you know, it was a job outside of football. And I enjoyed it, but we were, we were very fortunate to buy it a large piece of ground inexpensively in 1984 and 87, we put a home on it and we made it our permanent residence. You know, we didn't want to leave two sons families that were living 10 miles away. And our daughter was that time living in uh, the East coast area. And uh, we just, Hey, that's where we were. Not that we don't miss Napa Valley in California, that kind of thing, but uh, our roots were there. And then all of a sudden you're working out in the community you're doing charity work and all these kinds of things. You meet a lot of people and you keep getting closer to the people that watch you coach. And pretty quick, you're a diehard Philadelphian. Yeah, it's it's a great relationship that you have with the fans there. And and as far as the coaching stuff, you know, going in the Hall of Fame uh, and you know, following your career from afar, the master of the three-year turnaround uh, with the Eagles and the Rams and the, the Chiefs. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, 
as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the secret uh, that you had when you took over a team that hadn't been very successful that you were able to turn well, turn them around so quick? I think the real secret was that I wanted to build a team, not buy a team. We worked very hard. We taught people that hard work was not a form of punishment. It was a solution to losing. It was a problem-solving process. And we taught them there was no correlation between working less and getting better. And we didn't talk about being the best. We talked about getting better every day. And we aimed at the Dallas Cowboys initially because they were always very good. We were preparing to beat them someday. It took us four years. Okay. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. Uh, that's what we did. You know, in our first two years with three different teams, we won about 35% of our games. Our third year, we won 71% of our games. So the process worked. All three of my teams uh, at one time came out of a training camp and ended up being the only undefeated team left in football. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that I was never fired as a head coach by three different owners. And they're all personal friends. Of course, Lamar Hunt is gone. Leonard Toast is gone. Uh, Georgia Frontier is gone. But, uh, you know, it, uh, my career is going way beyond my own personal expectations. I'll tell you that. Well, it's a, it's a great uh, career that you've had here. And, and as far as the, the broadcasting stuff, you left the Eagles. You went into broadcasting. You had a long run. You were there for over a decade. On I remember watching you on CBS and ABC over the years, what, what do you think makes a good TV analyst for football? Well, number one, I have knowledge. Number two, prepare, work, work at it. And I really enjoyed the preparation. It kept me close to the game. I enjoyed the people I worked with, you know, Frank Lieber, Bern Lundquist, Tom Brookshire, Gary Bender, Roger Twyble, Brent Musburger. Uh, and I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot from going to football practices, both in pro football and college football, and watch other great coaches, you know, the Bill Snyders at Kansas State, the Tom Coughlin's at Boston College, the Tom Osborne's at, at uh, Nebraska, those kind of guys. I learned a lot about who, and I recognize who great coaches are. 
and I, I still hold them very high on my list as the finest coaches I've ever seen. You go watch Don Shula practice. My God, you know, who nobody did any better in pro football. So, you know, and then you go watch Bill Parcells prepare his team. So I learned a lot from watching other great coaches. Oh, that's great. And in your broadcasting, we just lost Vin Scully this week. Did you ever cross paths? I know you worked in L.A. Uh, you were at UCLA. I ran across him a number of times, yes. Uh, you know, there were so many good broadcasters. You know, Brent Musburger is, it was uh, so outstanding. You know, and he could he could broadcast a dogfight. <laughs> called him and said, you got to do it in two hours. You know, that's, he's just gifted. You know, and now he's out of it and retired, just like I am, slowing down and uh, – but uh, in fact, Roger Tribal and Gary Bender are coming here Saturday to be with me as I get inducted. That is, it's wonderful. Uh, and you've made the transition from coach to broadcaster back to coach. And Sean McVay, I want to ask you about that. The coach of the LA Rams, Sean McVay, uh, Dick, he flirted with going to television. There were some rumors that he was going to leave the sidelines. And he's a very young guy still in the coaching world. Any advice you would give to Sean McVay about when to go into television? Well, you know, I would, you know, Sean is young. He's got a lot of energy. And if I were him, I'd coach as long as you physically are capable and emotionally want to, you know, and, you know, everybody's different, you know, and I put in 19 years in the NFL with a break in between each team, you know, and people forget, you know, coaches in general, even though you're coaching a high school team or a junior college team or a college team, those teams, those games mean every much as, as much to you as when you get into the NFL and coaching on NFL on Sundays and Monday nights and Thursday nights and uh, against the Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, those games are just as important to you at that vintage of your career as the big ones later on. So it, it wears and tears on you, believe me, it, it does. And it, I allowed it to do a little too much on me, but anyway, uh, I would, I would suggest, you know, I, I would stay in as long as I possibly can and, and feel good about what I'm doing. As soon as you don't feel real good about what you're doing and your heart isn't there, then go do something else. It's a very demanding profession. Absolutely. You did it a long time. You did it very well. That's why you're going in the hall of fame, Dick. And uh, who was the guy that gave you your big break? Was there one person in particular when you were coming up the coaching ranks that, that really set you on your way? Well, John Ralston brought me into Division One coaching, junior college coaching, Stanford University. Then George Allen brought me into the National Football League in 1969 as the very first special teams coach. So uh, those two guys broke me into leagues that I never anticipated being in. And because of their decisions and evaluations, they thought I belonged there. And those two guys really got me started at those two different levels. What about the physicality of football, uh, Dick? O over the years, obviously, when you were coaching early on, it was uh, insanely physical, and things have changed a lot over the years. What do you think football is going to look like 20 years from now? You know, I, I think it'll probably remain pretty close to what it is today. You know, it's still a combat sport. You know, they call it contact sport. I teach people, I say dancing is a contact sport. <laughs> you line up and play on Sunday, it's a combat sport. Just ask those centers and those tackles, offensive guards and defensive tackles. Yeah, it's, it's a hell of a lot more than just contact. And I, I, I think they've got to be careful of being overprotective of the game because then you end up creating more injury problems because they aren't prepared for the combat on Sunday. But I, I think we're hitting a happy medium right now. The, the game has never been more exciting than it was last year. 
and young coaches are doing wonderful things with, even within the limit of the practice times they have now and the double sessions and all that. Uh, I, I think the league will be uh, going full bore. You might not see a three-point stance anymore in football after a few more years. They may say everyone has to be in a two-point stance, so you won't see a, uh, offensive or defensive lineman in, in two-point stances. I could see that possibly happen. I ho- hope it doesn't. Uh, you know, th- there's a risk in a lot of different occupations, and you you can't limit every risk in every occupation. And I think pro football players know when they choose and make a pro football team that there's a lot of risk involved, both today, tomorrow, and the long time future. And uh, you know, I'm a, I coached in the league starting 1969, and I'm around a lot of older older gentlemen that played football for a living that you know that are now in 70s and early 80s and uh, when you combine old age and having played a number of years of pro football you got a lot of aches and pains and some some issues are very serious so uh, you know but th- I have never talked to a player of mine that wouldn't do it all over it, you know yeah so I don't I hope we don't fool around with it too much If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. As far as the coaching stuff, you, you're the perfect guy to ask as you're going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. You started out, in, as you said, in the late 60s, and you coached in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the whole thing. Uh, the analytical part of football. What do you what do you think some of the old time coaches would say? Uh, some of the guys when you were starting out to talk about all the stats and the advanced stats and all that would they be receptive to it, or do you think they'd be like, "What is this this nonsense?" You know, I, I think they'd like to keep gaining more information and insight into the game. Uh, I don't know if they would go deeply into the analytics, but they'd listen to it. I started studying statistically the computer sides of football with Bud Goody years and years and years ago. In fact, I think it was George Gallon that uh, connected me with Bud Goody years ago. And I still use stuff that he uh, developed early, even before computers. So uh, I think it's good. I just think uh, you've got to be careful of relying on it. And then I think also now with all these organizations have analytical departments, use it, but don't abuse it. Everything in moderation, right? Everything in moderation. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about your time with the, the St. Louis Rams and the, the great story with Kurt Warner. Uh, if Trent Green hadn't gotten hurt, would we have known who Kurt Warner is today? Uh, did you know in training camp that he could play? Or when did you realize, man, this guy's really good? I thought he could play. I didn't know he could play as well as he did. Nobody in our staff did. But, you know, I, but, you know, I have always said I'm going to go on what I see because I'm the final decision maker on what I see. And when Kurt Warner was our third scout team, the opponent's offense against our defense all the time, I used to walk off the field and many times say, Geez, you know, this kid, I don't know, our defense stinks or he can really throw the ball. It never touches the ground, you know. So uh, I, uh, you know, I had great respect for him, but there was no way I could anticipate he could play like he did. Yeah, and if Trent Green hadn't gotten hurt, do you think he Kurt would have gotten his opportunity? Do you think that down the line somebody would have given him a chance? It would have been very difficult. would have been very – you just stop and think. In, in this league, it is very difficult for a person like Kurt Warner in his situation that time to get the opportunity. And, and fortunately for me, my philosophy, uh, I always, always search for those kind of kids. Always, and I had great luck with London Fletcher's and a number of kids on, on my Eagle football team. Me, even Herman Edwards for Chronics was a free agent. I love those kind of kids because they always had an extra degree of passion, you know, and it, 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 it always motivated me to be around those kind of kids. So, uh, but I don't know, you know, unfortunately, we brought Mike Martz in to run the offense that year with Al Saunders and then Jim Hannafin was there. We brought in John Masco and Dana LaDuke and all these kind of people. Uh, they, they just, they took what we had done for two years and building that organization through hard work and, and put it all together into a package that ended up being called the greatest show on turf. You know, there's four guys off that offense that are in this hall of fame already. And Torrey Holt will be the next. Absolutely. And I'm sure uh, all these guys, many of them anyway, will be there this weekend to, to welcome you in. And to my count, I was trying to I was trying to keep track of this. I believe there are two movies that you have been you were not in, but somebody played you. I know Invincible, which was uh, like 15 years ago. And then more recently, the American underdog with 
with uh, the Kurt Warner story. Uh, Dennis Quaid uh, played you. Uh, Greg Kinnear, I believe, played you in the other one. How weird is yeah. that? Is it is it cool or is it awkward? Is it weird? Is it uncomfortable to watch someone play you in a movie? It wasn't as factual as it could be, but like they told me, you know, they weren't doing a documentary. They were telling a story. They did a good job of telling the story. Vince will be here in two days. He'll be here for, for the Hall of Fame induction. The Kurt Warner story, I enjoyed it. I saw it three times because I, I helped it premiere around the country a little bit, and I enjoyed it. I think they did a, a real good, exceptionally good job the second half of the movie, and they really it, it told a deeper story than just Kurt Warner in football. Absolutely. And uh, you, you started out in high school. You worked your way up to UCLA. You were a coach of the Bruins before you went to the NFL. And I got to ask you this. Now, I'm based in L.A. here, Dick, and UCLA – one of your big wins was against Ohio State and in the in the Rose Bowl, I believe it was in the mid-70s. UCLA is going to the Big Ten with USC as an old Bruin back in the day. Your thoughts on the new-look college football landscape? Well, I think in some ways it'll be very good. It'll present UCLA to a, a, a better audience uh, weekly because it'll include the Big Ten uh, cities and all that I think it'll disappoint a lot of the old-fashioned alums in Southern California. You know, they, they may not want to go to Columbus, Ohio. They may not want to come into Wisconsin on a weekend. You know, where they, before they could go to Oregon, Oregon State, you know, Washington State if they wanted to, or, or Stanford and Cal and all these different places to play. So uh, in the long run, it's all about business. You know, it costs a lot of money to run an athletic program now. And I think UCLA was also running short of funds, like a lot of major programs are. And uh, it, I think it'll eventually it'd be a good move. But yeah, I was a little disappointed when I first heard it. Yeah, it, it, the Big Ten now goes from the East Coast in New Jersey with Rutgers all the way to to LA. It's it's really a whole yeah. new it's a whole new world here in uh, in college yeah. football. And but just in general, though, Dick, I mean, you look at the money in football and. When you started, it, you know, it was you've really seen in your life the transition now where these NFL teams are worth four, five, six billion dollars. When you take a couple of steps back and you look at how big the business of football is, what goes through your head? Just like coaches' salaries. You know, I went to the Eagles. I went to the Eagles as head football coach in 1976 from making $30,000 a year coaching the Bruins to $50,000 a year coaching pro football team. So you compare that with what it is today, it's penis. But uh, yeah, I'm happy for everybody in that situation. I'll let you go. Listen, congratulations on all the fam. I'm looking forward to watching your speech this weekend. Uh, and uh, thank you. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 